Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. I was recently at a work conference in Jacksonville, and the conference took place in the downtown library, which was cool, all on its own, right? And then when the time came for lunch, the conference coordinator showed a slide with some ideas of what to do during your lunch break. I mean, after the taco bar, of course. Now, most of these were like your typical conference suggestions, like, you know, sit next to someone you haven't met yet kind of things. But at the bottom, they mentioned that you could stop by Chamblin's Book Mine. Um, obviously, I devoured my tacos and then my colleague very kindly accompanied me to the book mine. So great, a book mine. That's what they should be called. Luckily, I have a list on my phone of the books that I want when I happen upon used bookstores. So at Chamblin's, I found an Agatha Christie that I've been looking for and The Bonesetter's Daughter by Amy Tan. Now, honestly, I am currently reading the book and I do completely love Amy's storytelling style. So I think it's time for us to learn a little more about Amy Tan. Amy Ruth Tan was born in Oakland, California on February 19th, 1952. So even though she was born in Oakland, she lived a lot of places. Her family moved around a lot. So she lived in Oakland and Fresno and Berkeley and San Francisco. And then her family settled in the Santa Clara, California area. Now her parents, John and Daisy Tan, were Chinese immigrants. And her father was an electrical engineer and a Baptist minister. And he came to America to escape the Chinese Civil War. And from what I've been able to piece together, I think he immigrated around like 1946 or 47. And Amy speaks so highly of her father. He must have just been a very genuine, kind, loving, open-minded, curious kind of person. And unfortunately, he passed away in 1968 from a brain tumor when Amy was 15. But that's not the worst of it. Amy also lost her older brother, Peter, just six months before, also from a brain tumor. Now, obviously, her family is completely distraught at this point. So her mother moved 16-year-old Amy and her 14-year-old brother, John Jr., to Switzerland. Like, yes, to a totally different country. During this time, the relationship between Amy and her mother, Daisy, was strained, like to say the least. There was a speech that Amy gave at the University of Buffalo in 2003. And in this speech, she talks about how her mother really leaned into the supernatural during this time because she believed her family was cursed and she wanted to connect to the spirits to figure out what to do about it. And so she would put Amy in charge of the Ouija board. Her mother was also frequently threatening to commit suicide. And she put a lot of pressure on Amy to be the the good child now that her dad and brother are gone. And teenage Amy, who at this point has lost her dad and brother, has been moved to a foreign country where she does not know anyone and is currently in her 11th school. She responds with rebellion. And that includes almost running away to marry a German man, 
who was like really into some drugs. And she later found out that he was a fugitive from a mental hospital. It's like she really rebelled during this time. And with all of this going on, I mean, just all of this, this is also the time when Amy learned about her mother's past. All right. This is a lot. Okay. So first of all, Daisy's mother, who was Amy's grandmother, was a concubine. And she committed suicide when Daisy was just nine years old. Then Daisy, um, she got married. It was an arranged marriage and he was an abusive man. And during this time, she had eight pregnancies of those. She had three abortions. One was stillborn. And then she had one that died of dysentery around like age two or three. So she's in a horrible situation and she runs away to be with John, who is Amy's dad. And her then husband found out, found her and was able to have her put in prison for it. So at this time, John, Amy's dad, moved to the United States, and then Daisy followed a couple years later when she was released from prison, leaving her other three children. Okay, this is a lot of information for anyone to take in, and I can't imagine how Amy must have felt at this time, just learning all of this and learning that she has three half-sisters in China that she had not even known about. It's a lot to take in. But even with all of this, Amy completed her high school at the Institute of Monte Rosa, which is a private international boarding school. At this point, it's 1970, and the family returned to the United States, and Amy's mother selected a college for her to attend. So Amy, using scholarships and part-time jobs, attended Linfield, which is a small Baptist college in McMinnville, Oregon. And she was pre-med at this time because that's what her mother told her to do. Now, while at Linfield College, Amy went on a blind date with a man named Lou Damate, whose mother was a professor at that college, and they totally hit it off. So Amy transferred her sophomore year to San Jose City College to be with Lou. She also, at this point, changed her major from pre-med to English. So uh, needless to say, her mother is not happy with this at all. She is now going to a different college to follow a boy, and she changed from pre-med. So Amy and her mother had a falling out at this point, and they didn't speak for about six months. They really did um, separate for a while. But then by the time Amy and Lou got married, yes, they got married in 1974, her and her mother had reconciled that piece. And I do want to mention that Amy and Lou are still married today because, you know, I love a good love story. Now, Amy went on to earn a bachelor's and a master's in English and linguistics from San Jose State University. And then she took some doctoral classes at University of California, Santa Cruz, and then at University of California, Berkeley. In 1976, while she was studying at Berkeley, Amy and Lou's roommate was murdered. It was a robbery gone bad. Um, It also happened on Amy's birthday, and Amy had to identify the body, and she saw the crime scene. So after this tragedy, she actually went mute for a while, and that happened every year on her birthday again and again for about 12 years when she would remember this trauma. So at this point in 1976, after the murder, Amy decided to drop out of Berkeley and stop her doctoral program. 
but she did put her education in linguistics to work and became a language development specialist serving developmentally disabled children. So she does that for a while. And then in 1981, she became a freelance business writer and she was specializing in creating things like computer manuals for IBM and stuff like that. So she's actually doing really well creating these things. At this time, she is also using the name Mae Brown because she is trying to disguise her Chinese heritage. So she is writing at this point, but obviously this is still not the Amy Tan, the writer that we know today. She was also working a lot and decided she needed some balance in her life. So she was going to do two things. One, learn to play jazz piano and two, write a short story. I have no idea if she can play jazz piano, but honestly, I wouldn't put it past her. However, I do know that she rocked that short story. So her first short story was called Rules of the Game, and it was about a female chess prodigy and her clashes with her mother. And thanks to this story, Amy was invited to attend the Squaw Valley Community of Writers, which is a fiction writer's workshop. And the workshop was run by a writer named Molly Gillis. And Molly loved the story so much that she connected Amy with an agent named Sandra Dykstra and Rules of the Game was published. So her first short story was published. It was originally published in 1986 in a magazine called FM5 and then was reprinted in Seventeen magazine. So Amy is writing now. She continues to write short stories and many of these are inspired by her relationship with her mother and her Chinese American identity. Then in 1987, Amy and her mother go on a trip to Shanghai and Beijing to meet her three half sisters. This was Amy's first trip to China and her mother is reuniting with these children after 40 years, 40, more than 40 years. So there's a quote from Amy in a Los Angeles times article from 1989. And in it, she says, quote, it was instant bonding. There was something about this country that I belong to. I found something about myself that I never knew was there. End quote. So obviously she had a very good experience in China. And then when she returns, she finds out that her agent had found a publisher that was interested in her short stories. Yay. And these short stories then became her first novel, The Joy Luck Club, which was published in 1989. At this time, Amy is 37. This is her first book and it is a huge success. Obviously with great successes, you're always going to have some critics kind of comes with the game, right? Some of her critics felt that she was leaning into Chinese stereotypes, but Amy responds by reminding people that her writing is based on her experience and not meant to represent all Chinese Americans. Now, after reading this book, a director named Wayne Wang approached Amy to adapt the Joy Luck Club into a movie. So this was a risky move for a couple of reasons. First of all, because this story is many, has many, many characters, and there's not really a typical lead to it. You know, it's many stories put together, but also this would be an all Asian cast, which was unheard of in Hollywood at the time. But Amy and Wayne kept going and they connected with film writer Robert Bass 
and Robert could totally see the vision and they began the adaptation. Now, as all of this is going on, Amy's like, oh yeah, this uh, writing thing is going somewhere. I mean, her first book is a huge hit and is being made into a movie. So she keeps writing. And in 1991, she publishes her second book, which is called The Kitchen God's Wife. And then in 1993, The Joy Luck Club was released as a movie and it was a hit. I mean, it has an 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, obviously that means it's a hit, right? Now, Amy continued to write. And then in 1998, she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease and she has been able to control it, but she also started Lyme Aid for Kids through the Lyme Disease Association to help families whose children have Lyme's disease, but they don't have the financial means to treat it, which was a really sweet way for her to give back. Now, during the late 90s, Daisy, her mother, started her battle with dementia. And as she progressed with the disease, she actually could only speak in her first language, which was Shanghaiese. And Amy recalls that this was a time when she learned even more about her mother. And even though they had a very difficult relationship, they managed to really patch things up and be in a good place by the time her mother passed away in 1999. Now, as of today, Amy has written six works of fiction, six nonfiction, and two children's books. And then during the pandemic lockdown, she developed an interest in bird watching and is scheduled to release a book called The Backyard Bird Chronicles in 2024, which is a book of sketches and stories about the birds in her backyard. And also just one more thing that I wanted to mention, Amy Tan is friends with Isabella Lunde. I mean, there's really not no more that I need to say because that is just so great and makes my heart so happy. So just know Amy and Isabella are friends. There is a quote that I found from Amy that I absolutely love. And I think it's a great way to end her episode. So I quote, I think that's why I'm a storyteller. I take all these disparate events and connect them. I have to make them seem inevitable and yet surprising and plausible. That's what I think life is like too. I have the luxury to do exactly what it is we all need to do. Think about the mystery of life. End quote. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about Amy Tan. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. And this person is an incredible example of resilience and forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs>